Uh, I think I could just listen to him all morning. I just thoroughly enjoy Kevin and all his mannerisms and ways around about getting to the subject and then caveats and then coming back and forgetting what we were talking about in the first place. Uh, what is, uh, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, Legacy has uh, become very dear to us and it's been just amazing to watch it begin to start, to get solid, uh, to not really have a lot of the rocky starts that a lot of the church plants that we continually to see, uh, not that it's been perfect by any means. Uh, there has been a couple bumps in the road, but uh, God has done an amazing thing here in starting it and uniting it around the cross. And it's amazing how if you're united around the cross, how so many things come into focus, how so many things are bringing people together, how it removes barriers and brings people in. And I don't know about you, but I have difficulty in uh, getting people united. Uh, I'm one of those people that tends to be very driven. I'm one of those people that tends to think that he knows the answer. I tend to be exclusivist. Uh, and, uh, and I don't like that necessarily about myself. One example of that recently is we just brought in, we have three kids. We have a 17-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 3-year-old. Yes, there's a big gap there. And we just brought in a foster, uh, foster child uh, that's seven months old. Well, my 3-year-old really, with a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old and my wife and I, he really is an only child with four parents. And so you talk about the baby of the family. I mean, uh, Paul and I were talking about this morning, just spoiled rotten and just loves it. So here comes the enemy, seven-month-old, coming into it. The seven-month-old, the foster child, is really quite pleasant. But my other child, my three-year-old, turned into three kids when that happened. And so suddenly we, ju- we didn't just, you know, bring in one child. We did physically, but we brought in three kids. We netted three kids all of a sudden. And it's been crazy. And for, so for the last two months, I'm like, order, order. We're going to bring order in here. Come on. You know? And what happens is I just started pushing it so hard. Another thing that happened was foster child's not sleeping through the night. And I don't know about you, but I really love sleep. And, um, and you realize how dear it is when you're missing out on it. And so I'm just trying to figure out how to make this child sleep through the night, all of a sudden realizing the reason why you're not sleeping through the night when you're eighth month old is because actually that's the time when you had the greatest tension in your, uh, in your original family. And this child needs me to run and pick him up and hold him and embrace him and not just have him go to sleep and, and, you know, and to make him feel isolated. Well, as a result, at night I'm up. In the day, it's crazy because of my three-year-old. And so I've just been just going all the time for the last two months. What I find, found is I became more and more white-knuckled with solutions, that I was bent on us having peace in the house, but it wasn't just the three-year-old, if I was going to be fair, that was acting out. It was also the 43-year-old. It was me. And I uh, became more and more aggravated, irritable. And in pushing forward towards peace, I became more intolerant and I became more conflicted. And if you are honest with yourself, 
You know, even our very best efforts to ensure peace, maybe at home, maybe at workplace, uh, maybe in your neighborhood or with your friends, as hard as you try with all the abilities you have to bring in peace, sooner or later it falls flat. Sooner or later it doesn't work. Sooner or later uh, the ideals, the, the principles that you're living for uh, to bring the peace falls short if it's not the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to go mostly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to talk about how the cross unites. But I want to, I want to ask you a couple questions along the way. I want to ask you first, who's your hero? Really, who's your hero? Really. Really, who's your hero? Then I want to ask you, what life principles are you really living by? I mean, really. I mean, functionally. Not just what you should be, but really functionally, what are you living by? So we're going to talk about who's your hero. We're going to talk about life principles. And finally, we're going to talk about an oasis versus dividing walls. And they'll make sense when we get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we see Paul has planted a church, and it's full of conflict. It's about four and a half years old, a little bit older than Legacy, the church in Corinth at this time, and it is having trouble. Let's read about it. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, there's, there's quarreling among you, my brothers. Okay, so what is the quarreling? What is the quarreling? Let's keep going for the verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. Is Paul a good guy? Of course he thinks he's a good guy. I follow Apollos. Is Apollos a good guy? Yeah, Apollos is another really good teacher. I follow Cephas, who is uh, Peter, the same guys, Peter. Or I follow Christ. So he asks a couple rhetorical questions. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he says, I'm glad I didn't do more damage than I thought. Verse 14, I thought God, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanos, but on that I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Now, why in the world is he starting to talk about baptism? Why is he glad he didn't baptize people? What an odd thing to say. Well, what had happened was different people found different heroes in the church. They would have these itinerant apostles come through before they established elders, uh, much in the same way that media carries itinerant speakers to us. You know, some of us say, I follow Francis Chan. Oh my gosh. Have you read his new book? It's incredible. Francis Chan is so good. It's like scripture after scripture. He's just like right there in my face. Somebody else is like, I follow Matt Chandler. He is so funny. He's so big. He's lanky. Just kind of out there. He's crazy. I love Matt Chandler. And then we just keep going. I follow Joel Osteen. I follow uh, this particular person. I follow Seth Godwin, right? And we just go on and on and on when we have these different heroes. Well, Paul is glad that he didn't baptize anyone, not because he's against baptism at all. He's pro-baptism. But what he realized was these people started worshiping heroes, uh, another hero besides Christ. 
They started worshiping men, teachers, people. And what they also appreciated, those, these people in different sects, was what that person did for them. So if you were Paul, uh, baptized by Paulus, you're like, I follow Paulus, he's right. I follow Peter, he's right, and he baptized me. And that's the way we do it. The reason why we love a hero and why we pick a hero is because of what they do for us. Right? And many, many times, it's good things. Of course it's good things. It wouldn't be your hero. Now, it doesn't have to just be in spiritual areas. I follow Kim, Tim Keller. I do follow Tim Keller. He's such a stud. He's like awesome. Uh, I follow uh, Stephen Furtick. Okay? It doesn't have to be in spiritual areas. Most of us, it's actually outside of it. If you're like me, I now, I'm back following uh, the Ezos. I know I used to, years ago when we had a 17-year-old, there was this stuff called Growing Kids God's Way. It's, it's really not the best stuff that I now realize. But I'm trying to get my baby to sleep through the night. And right now, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to say somebody's a hero that's able to get that baby to sleep, right? I need that baby to go to sleep through the night. So I'm going to pick up somebody that's given me life principles or a human that's given me ideals and, and that I can apply and it will work for me that I can use to get that baby to sleep through the night because I need sleep. Uh, I, I follow Kevin Lehman. Kevin Lehman's birth order book. He's an old guy, been around a long time. He's a real kind of jolly guy. Talks about birth order and all that stuff. And if that helps my three-year-old just chill out, I'll follow Kevin Lehman. So we do it at home. We also do it in our industry. For example, let's say you're a physical therapist. You may follow a particular professional in your industry that's able to perfect a certain technique and able to heal people a little bit quicker, and that's who you follow. If you're a surgeon, you go and you uh, follow or you uh, spend uh, time in continuing education, education going and learning a certain, certain technique, certain principle, so that you can apply what your hero has done. And it happens in every area of your life. It could be a bike company. It could be someone on Tour de France. He's my hero. Why is your hero? Because of what he gives to me. He makes me look good when he wins because I, I put money on it, Right? So what we're constantly doing is we're looking, we are craving, we are searching for heroes and their life principles that work for us. Uh, one person I really enjoy is Dave Ramsey. Love Dave Ramsey. Uh, years ago, he helped me get out of debt and uh, helped me work on the envelope system. What does Dave Ramsey say? He's a, he's a Christian. Uh, I think he is a good evangelical. But what does he say? He says, if you get out of debt you will have financial peace. Now, he's a Christian, but he's divorced the gospel from his principles. Now, if you really sit him down, he's like, yeah. I mean, he's a friend of a friend of us. And if you really sit him down, he goes, yeah, I know. It's kind of marketing, financial peace and all that. And, you know, I understand peace is through Jesus Christ. Or whatever. But what happens is we start trusting in the strategy and we go around and say, oh, you want to get out of debt? Here's a book called Financial Peace. You want financial peace? You want to feel better? Well, if you get out of debt, then you will feel better about yourself. You know, um, it's not that a lot of these people are coming up with things that are just wrong because Dave Ramsey is right. If you get out of debt, you're going to feel a lot better, all right? You really are going to be in a better position. It's not that that's wrong. It's it becomes dangerous. And here's the idea I want you to see. Uh, I have this, I think I put up on the screen, it might be a couple 
couple down. Uh, but it says, life principles are not often wrong in themselves, but become wrong when they aren't built upon the gospel. Life principles are not, so, not necessarily wrong in themselves. It's not wrong to say get out of debt. That's not wrong. That's a good thing. You're no longer a slave to your lender, right? Life principles are not wrong in themselves, but become, and I won't even change that word wrong, to dangerous when they aren't built upon the gospel. This is why they become dangerous. Because you think, if I get out of debt, I will have peace. Now, that's certainly true most of the time, but there are times you get out of debt and you finally get there, and it's just not as great as you thought it would be. Here's another one that many of us can relate to. We thought for a long time the life principle that we live by is get out of the house, you know? No longer live with our parents. Go off into college. Have fun, you know? 20s. Enjoy our apartment. I remember I used to say at any time I could go out in the middle of the night and go get ice cream anytime I want. Well, I did that a couple times when I was 23, 24 years old. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of tired and it's ice cream. It's not as great as I thought it would be. There was nothing wrong. In, in, but when I put my trust into that to give me the peace that I wanted, what I realized is it disappointed. So life principles become dangerous when they're not built on the gospel. Now, hold on to that, and let's talk a little bit more about why I'm talking about life principles. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's pick up where we left off in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, all right, eloquent wisdom, notice that, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Okay, catch that? Whatever this eloquent wisdom is, it's emptying the cross of its power. It's, it's subtracting from it. Hold to that. Let's keep going. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Again, the cross to those that are saved, to those that are trusting it, to those that believe that Jesus Christ's death on the cross delivered them from Satan's reign and brought them into a relationship with God, those that are saved from their sin, it is the power of God. Well, what is this eloquent wisdom? And it's, it's contrary to the word of the cross. The word wisdom is the word Sophia in the original language here. And uh, what we often name, for example, uh, our children, Sophia is a pretty, pretty little girl's name. It means wisdom. And there were some people in Corinth at the time called sophists. And sophists were people that were excellent public speakers. I mean, excellent public speakers. But this is what most of the sophists believed. They believed that truth was relative and that you, there was no authoritative capital T truth, unlike uh, scripture, unlike the gospel, which says there is a capital T authoritative, exclusive truth, and it's found in Jesus Christ and Him crucified, all right? It's found in the gospel. But they would say, no, 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 it's not. Well, as a result, if you don't have any capital C truth, well, then everything is about trying to win over an audience. It's trying to win somebody to you. And this happens all the time. Does it not happen all the time? All the time we're hearing messages of a certain product, 
that's going to meet all of our needs. I remember growing up, and my parents loved Zig Ziglar. Oh, they loved Zig Ziglar. You remember that guy? And he would say stuff like, uh, if, you, if you give enough people what they want, you'll get what you want. So he's given a life principle, all right? Now, Zig Ziglar is a Christian, but he again divorced the gospel from it, and he's given you something that is basically uh, very practical that says if you win the approval of others, you'll get what you want, which doesn't always work. And when you put your faith in that principle and it doesn't work, you're like, well, what's the point anyway? I've been given it all I can. Another thing he would say is uh, if you keep, he would encourage persistence. There's a, he would have this idea of a pump, like on a well. And he would say, you know, if you're out in the desert and you find this pump and you need the water, this is what you do. You start pumping the well. And you just keep on pumping and pumping. I don't know if anybody ever remember hearing this. I heard this growing up all the time. And you just keep persistent and keep going. But you don't stop because then the water will go back down the pipe. But if you keep pumping, it, after a while it will come up and it will start to gush. And finally, it'll come out. And he would say, that's what persistence brings. Is that a good life principle? Absolutely. Persistence is fantastic. But sometimes you're pumping on a dry well. And you don't realize that it's dry. And so, what you need to see here is that uh, eloquent wisdom is promises. They're life principles you live by but they're not rooted in the gospel. And so, this is what it does because they're not rooted in the gospel it, what your belief in the gospel loses its power. And this is what a lot of us do, especially in East Tennessee. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave and going to heaven. Good, I can live however I want. Now I'm going to go and live however, whatever principles that I think are going to bring me life. Now I'm going to go follow a hero that can give me what I want. That's what I'm going to do. But this is what we do when we do that. There was a... Uh, there's a great guy um, that I just love named Tim Keller, and he gave a great illustration. I'm being a little silly as I'm intentionally giving you a, a, um, an illustration of a guy that's become my hero and was too much, and I've had to repent from that. Anyway, Tim Keller uh, said this. Let's say you had a, needed a cabinet, and, uh, and, and you wanted it, you know, be really nice and kind of just so. And so you told this cabinet maker you wanted it certain way and dimensions and the functionality and all that. Well, the cabinet maker is the best. Like, he's incredible. And he goes and he finds the perfect wood. And he gets it according to the perfect dimensions. He uh, finishes it, sands it, finishes it. Uh, he puts the perfect hardware, and he presents you with the cabinet that you want that's perfect. Well, if you're looking at that and you're like, I got some sandpaper here. I just want to give one little stroke on that sandpaper. I mean, on the on, because I don't think it's just quite the way I want it. What, what's he going to say? No, 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 no. It's finished. It's perfect. In other words, by simply adding to it, you're actually subtracting from it. And that's what we're doing so many times when we believe in certain heroes or life principles that rule our lives. When we add to the gospel, we're actually subtracting from its power. It is perfect. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and brought you into relationship with God that any time, any point, anywhere, 
you can find satisfaction in Him alone. Now, this is what the gospel does to a lot of those life principles. Ready? I want you to flip over with me. Hold your finger in 1 Corinthians. We're coming back. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Okay, so he's going back. Paul's speaking now to a different church, the church in Ephesus. Remember at the time you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from God's people, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create himself one new man in the place of two, and so making peace. The cross brings people together. The cross stops divisions. Putting your ideal on a hero or a life principle makes you an exclusivist because you're going to lean all you can. You're putting all your faith into that again and again and again and again. And just like me at home, when peace was not coming in the house, I became more and more white-knuckled. And you just are forcing it because you want to believe that that life principle or that hero is everything you need. Well, what that happens is sooner or later, everybody's like, this is not helping us. And other people have other solutions. They follow other teachers. They follow other life principles. And it starts to divide. And it starts to to separate people because everybody's trusting in something else other than the very thing that is the greatest, the most eloquent wisdom, the most eloquent wisdom, the greatest hero, and that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so, going back to 1 Corinthians, Paul picks up. I know I'm jumping around. Sorry, this is my fault. In fact, I'm going to add a verse here that you don't have on the screen. But here we go. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He picks this back up again. And Paul says, this is my solution. This is it. This is what brings unity. He says it in 2 and later on in 3. And when I, when I came to you, brothers, and did not proclaim to you the testimony of God, with lofty speech or wisdom. There it is, wisdom again. It's the word Sophia. It's a reference to the sophist probably. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And compared to everything else, all the principles of life, all the other heroes fall. Compared to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That He is the Son of God that died, take my penalty, and imputed me with his righteousness, that I'm right with God, and that God's not angry at me anymore. In fact, adopts me into his family and embraces me and pours, despite the circumstances, love into my heart again and again and again. And he does that 
not just with me, but the other people in the church as well. And he does it again and again. And as a result, that love being poured brings together, as Ephesians 2 talks about. And then this is not on the screen. Later on, he picks up at this again, and he talks, he's talking about, you know, these sects, I follow Paul, I follow Paul's. And he says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paul's, are you not being merely human? Chapter 3, verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 21, he says, so let no one boast in men. Let no one boast in men. For all things are yours. Think, listen to this. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or the future. All things are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God. Now, what's he saying here? There are things that, divide, that um, concern us. Our leaders, they concern us. When they're off, especially or the one that we think's right and somebody else thinks another candidate is right, that concerns us. Our leaders are concerning. The world and its threats concerning. Life and being happy right now, that concerns us. Death and do whatever I can with my health so that I can escape it as long as possible. Or the present worries or the future worries. He's listing all these different things that concern us. But just focusing on these leaders, notice what, notice what he says. He reverses it. Instead of saying, I follow Paul, which basically, if you'll notice, I follow Paul, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, me getting what I want is really what's behind all that. But he flips it. He says, I'm yours. Apollos is yours. Cephas is yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God. In other words, you don't find your security in a human hero. You don't find your security in a life principle that's divorced from the gospel. You are secure because Christ has got you. God had Christ. Christ has you. And guess what? You have us. Which means you can learn from Paul. You can learn from Apollos. And you can learn from Peter. You can learn from all these people because you aren't basing your security in a hero or a life principle, but you are secure. Now, what does this mean? I think one of the things that we often do in Christianity, and I think our network is as awesome as it has been to me, has really done a poor job at, is we create fences. Religion does this. Religion says, hey, we need to know when people are with us or when people are out. And so you create a fence, right? And some of those fences uh, are, have functional benefits, but ultimately it doesn't take you long to get really off of that. For example, uh, one fence uh, <clears throat> can be what authors we really trust and the other preachers out there that we don't trust. So we put inside the fence... Um, people in our network, of course, are just like us. You know, we put um, Mark Driscoll in there, or we put Matt Chandler. You might not know these names, but if you've been on our network for a while, you, you probably do. 
Tim Keller's not in our network, but he's our hero, and he's a patron saint of our na- network, so we'll put him in there. We'll put him in the fence. Uh, Al Mohler's not in there. You know, we start listing these different people. And then we have certain publishers, Crossway's in there, you know. Uh, you know, we have a, these other publishers, and they're, they're in there. And, um, and so we start building a fence. This is who's in, and this is who's out. Stephen Furtick, no way he's not in. He's way out. He teaches man-centered theology. Joel Osteen, oh my gosh, he's so far out. He's amazing far out. You know, and then we start having these people, what's in and what's out. And what are we doing? We don't feel secure, so we have to create fences. But Paul's saying, you know what? You're already secure. You're already secure. What does this mean? It means that Jesus breaks down the fence. That's what it said in Ephesians 2. He takes down the dividing wall so that all have access to him. You see, if uh, some of you, a few of you, especially a lot of people that first started Legacy, understands a little bit about an arid environment. At Texas, we got fences. Do we have fences in Texas? We got, we got fences. But there's a lot of fencing. But if you go way out in far west Texas, and especially out all the way into the desert, it's just too much land to fence. And so what you do instead is you create a watering hole. Or to put it in Middle Eastern tech, uh, um, situation or like in a true desert situation, you have an oasis. Well, see, Jesus Christ is more like an oasis than a fence. This is what happens. He provides refreshment for you. He breaks down dividing walls. All come in so that they would be able to enjoy and to drink from him, be refreshed again and again and again and again and again. And guess what? Everything that's built around that oasis, every life principle that's rooted in that, it gives off fruit. So, so for example, let's go back to David Ramsey. You know, uh, the gospel is not connected, but you're able to connect it. You know what the gospel, you're secure to the Lord. You know, you know what? I'm going to get out of debt, not so much so I can have peace. No, I already have peace in Jesus Christ. I'm going to get out of debt because I want to bless other people more, because I want to serve them more, okay? And, and so as a result, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get out of debt. So that's a, that is a principle. So you're using the principles of getting out of debt. You're using all that stuff because it's so helpful for you. You can go to your industry, let's say you're a physical therapist, and you could look at the principles of healing and apply that and connect that to the gospel. And when it does, all of a sudden it has new life. It's about loving. It's about caring. It's not about money. It's not about getting your patient in and out as fast as you can. It's not about the workload that you have. But instead, it is about loving, it's about serving, it's about redeeming, it's about healing, and that is connected to the gospel. And so you are able to make the connections in the gospel, and everything that's around the oasis, every tree that is rooted, bears fruit, and the ones that don't, the seeds just die out in the desert alone. You don't, if you know the gospel, if you believe that Jesus Christ is your hero, he's your man of steel. If you believe that and that the gospel is king, it is the very most eloquent and all life principles in life flourish that are connected to it. You know what? You're not going to go far from the oasis. It's something, it's a power 
that draws you back and again and again and again and again. It refreshes you again and again and again and again. So don't worry so much about falling away. Don't worry so much about wandering off. Because if you really know Jesus Christ and Him crucified, He's got you. If you really know Jesus Christ and Him crucified, there's power. And there's powerful power to bring you peace. And there's power to unify you and the people that you love and the people that are loving Him with you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I thank You so much for the people that have helped us, that are heroes to us. But I thank You, Father, that sooner or later that they've let us down when we have not put them in the right place. I thank You, Father, for the life principles that come alive when they're